Hi, my name's Sam Breakgear and welcome to Brains Bite Back. This is the podcast exploring all things related to psychology, technology and our society. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably played Call of Duty Advanced Warfare and ask yourself how soon before we can all run around in Iron Man style exoskeletons. Well, in this episode, we'll take a look at some of the technology that is being used in combat situations and what we can expect from the not too distant future. To discuss this, I'm joined by an expert in this industry who served in the Israeli military and counter-terrorism special forces. He now leads the development of Toref, a smart sensor system that connects firearms to online platforms, David Horish. In this episode, you'll learn about future soldier technology, how Toref technology stands to change the battlefield, and why 5G is so important for global politics and power. This episode is brought to you by Publicize, a digital PR company that grows businesses' online presence. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bite Back listeners, you can receive an SEO assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash BBB. Would you be able to explain for our listeners uh, who you are and what it is you do, please, David? Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's uh, really great to be here. Uh, and my name is David Horish. For about a decade, I served in Israeli special forces and counterterrorism. Uh, eventually, I transitioned into high tech, started doing business development for startups, uh, mainly defense related tech, but not only. And uh, about three years ago, my partners and I founded Toef. And, uh, well, we began connecting firearms to online platforms. Yeah, this sounds really impressive just because, like, I can't even really conceptualize, like, how it works. So when when we first started talking, I knew that I had to get you on just because, one, it sounds really interesting. And two, I just kind of really wanted a clearer idea of how this works. So would you be able to explain in its simplest form, how does Torif work? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so let's uh, let's start with the problem. Uh, that we're solving. So uh, in the past few years, a new issue has become a major concern for military and police forces. And that is the issue of situational awareness. So this is a phrase describing command centers constant challenge trying to bridge the gap between what they think is happening in the field and what is actually happening in the field. So to do so, command centers use radios, body cameras, uh, emergency mobile apps, and uh, other solutions. But in combat, these tools just aren't enough uh, because besides demanding the soldier's attention to use them, uh, they do not give an accurate description of ongoing combat situations. And that is exactly what we do. So TOEF is a smart sensor system uh, a hardware that reports firearms, user and machine behavior. Uh, now I'll get into what, what exactly that means. So we have a system that's mounted on the firearm and combines mechanism monitoring with elements of direction and location. And this way it kind of depicts uh, ongoing combat situations. So in other words, if a soldier pulls a trigger in a certain direction, the command center gets an alert of a firearm that's being used, its location, and the direction that it's shooting at. So basically, soldiers are able to passively report the most basic but critical information, which is, I am in combat, 
and this is what I'm up to. This is what I'm doing. Um, and giving command centers a really great tool to manage combat situations. Awesome. And out of interest, is there any other kind of data which is sent back in the sense of is there any visual components or audio components? Yeah, so we, we really kept it simple. Well, the command centers have a problem. So, uh, and that problem is there's so much information going towards one person who is sitting in front of a screen. So imagine having to also look at the map, also looking at a video, a live streaming of video that's going on, and also kind of listening to the radio at the same time. So one person would have a really hard time kind of uh, managing all those streams of information. So we kind of put the location on the map, kind of show that the soldier, where he's firing at and kind of giving uh, the command centers an indication of where the enemy is at, because we know where we're shooting at, and kind of that the soldier is active and alive, and kind of how other forces can join him and kind of support his uh, combat efforts, or how uh, medical forces can kind of join the uh, join the team and evacuate uh, civilians, and kind of give command centers a better picture that way. Sounds very holistic in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Out of interest, yeah. how did you come up with the, the idea of this, Tori? Yeah, so um, besides our own experience in a complex emergency situa situation, so to speak, uh, we found that this gap between field operators and command centers is something that happens across the board. So different units, different organizations, military, police, security, and uh, different countries. And uh, we felt that this was a problem that uh, we needed to solve. So uh, we kind of dove right into it. Awesome. No, it definitely makes sense. And like, I've never been in a combat situation, fortunately, but I can imagine I that. It's... Yeah, no, I, uh, I hope that I can go the rest of my life without it, but I can already imagine that it is quite a chaotic environment to be in. So I suppose anything which can help um, reduce that amount of chaos is definitely going to be very advantageous um yeah on that regard like do you have a case study that you can share with us where this technology has had an, uh, a positive impact or just like some kind of impact in a combat situation yeah yeah well so we're still in the process of uh, research and development so we haven't yet battle tested our technology but i can give you a number of examples for situations where our technology would have saved some lives so mm -hmm. Uh, do you want an Israeli story or an American one or a European one? <laughs> okay, let's go for European. Just European, okay. <laughs> I, I didn't expect that, I have to say, but okay. So uh, do you remember the the terrorist attack that happened in, uh, in Paris? And I think it was 2015, November? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was uh, uh, pretty horrific. So what happened? there were multiple incidents uh, going on at the same time. So we had uh, suicide bombers in a stadium, in a cafe, and we had shooters in a concert and uh, in a restaurant. And I think I'm missing uh, one of the incidents, but that was kind of what was going on. Now you can imagine all the civilians calling in and kind of flooding the 911 lines and kind of the, the uh, police command centers had no idea what was going on in the field. And a lot of the times there was kind of chaos because civilians were reporting one thing that the police officers on the ground 
were reporting something completely different. So a police officer would re report a terrorist in one location and the civilian would re report something that he saw, but kind of from his perspective and kind of these, sometimes these descriptions clashed, if that makes any sense, and kind of created complete uncertainty in the, in the French command center and the police command mm. center over there. And I'm now very curious to know the other ones. And since we've got a bit of time and well, I'm not going to put a time limit on this. Would you want to go into the, the American, the Israeli examples? I'd be interested yeah, yeah, yeah. to okay. hear them as well. Uh, <laughs> so actually, I think that they're, they're more interesting, but let's, uh, let's do the American ones. So awesome. what happened was the American team was, it was in Africa uh, and it's called the Niger ambush, which was an ISIS ambush on American special forces that happened in 2017. And what well, we had a saying, saying in the military in my unit, that war is the kingdom of uncertainty. And I think this incident uh, demonstrates it pretty well. So what happened was, is the American team was on a mission to locate uh, a high value target uh, outside a town called Tango Tango. And uh, whilst leaving this town, the team's convoy was heavily ambushed by a uh, Islamic State Great Sahara militants. So at first the team didn't feel like this was a situation they couldn't handle. So they fought back trying to outflank the enemy, but very quickly they were swarmed by ISIS militants with heavy machine guns, mortars, RPGs, and AK-47s. And uh, even when they began retreating the team, uh, they got cut off by the enemy. And after about an hour, realizing that they're at a huge disadvantage, they call them for support. Now, try to imagine this. They have been in combat for 60 minutes straight, literally fighting to survive. And this is the first time they are calling in for proper support. So basically until this point, their command is not aware how severe their situation is. Now, you might ask, how is this possible that it takes so long for them to radio in or for yeah, the I was command thinking that. Yeah, so for, for the command center to kind of just follow up what's happening in the field. And the answer to that is that the team on the ground was busy fighting for their lives, for their mm -hmm. immediate survival. And in events like that, you don't have the privilege, so to speak, of having kind of a long conversation with your command uh, describing the exact actions and locations of your enemies. So kind of sitting under a tree and saying, oh, they're on the hill and uh, they're, uh, they're armed with uh, this type of weapon. You're kind of screaming into the radio, I'm being shot at from over there. And to the command center, that doesn't mean much. And a lot of times, like you as a soldier in combat, you're not really sure of, of the information that you're passing. So you don't, you don't really know the answer of where you're being shot at. You're just kind of trying to, to to survive the situation yeah i can understand why that immediacy is so important because in that kind of situation it's clear that every second counts yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely um do you want to go into the the israeli the israeli yeah, story I'm, I'm too curious now to pass any of these up and they're genuinely very interesting you you've got my full attention david <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um so this uh this happened on uh, july 12 2006 so during a routine patrol mission, two Israeli Defense Force vehicles were ambushed. So rocket-propelled grenades, heavy machine gun fires subdued, subdued the Israeli patrol mission. A terrible situation to be in. 
pinned down by heavy fire and unable to combat the enemy. Now, the worst part is that the local command center only became aware of the incident 45 minutes later. And the unfortunate outcome is three soldiers killed, three injured, two kidnapped, and a result, a full-scale war, which is what we now know as the Second Lebanon War. So I would like to imagine that with a technology like ours, like Toref, that uh, one shot from a, an Israeli firearm would have immediately reported to the command center that, that there's an incident going on, allowing the command center to send additional forces in and prevent the kidnapping of the soldiers and eventually prevent the war. So even though this is kind of a tactical solution for specific situations, uh, and many times tactical solutions turn into kind of strategic national events. And I think that having the ability to prevent these events is, I think, pretty important. Yeah, I can understand why you'd want to make them a thing of the past. I can imagine that this would save a lot of time, energy, and most of all lives if, if utilized correctly. So yeah, I can, I can totally understand now why, why you would want to bring this to the world. But Toref aside, in what other ways do you foresee like technology changing the battlefield over the next 10 years or so? Or in what other ways could technology help in these kinds of situations that you mentioned? Yeah, so uh, I'll tell you the truth. I was actually uh, looking forward to, to this type of question uh, because it's a really big question. Uh, yeah. So but before I answer it, I'd like to kind of make something uh, very fundamental understood. So on a global scale, the tech innovations in military technology are mainly drived by what's called the American National Defense Strategy which is an official public document that is uh, produced by, I think, I'm pretty sure it's the Department of Defense uh, that describes the biggest security risks that the world faces. Now, until 2018, uh, the focus was on terrorist organizations such as ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Hamas, and uh, so on. Uh, and what characterizes these organizations is that they operate out of civilian populations. So for a long time, we saw a rise in precision technologies that are able to neutralize terrorist individuals that have surrounded themselves by innocent civilians. So for example, uh, tiny drones that are loaded with bullets that are able to fly through a window and headshot the enemy, or full missiles that rather than exploding and bringing down whole buildings, hit specific individuals the same way a bullet does. And militaries around the world, Israel, the US, the UK, have really put a great effort into this. Uh, but now uh, we are about to see a shift in focus. So terrorist organizations have been deemed uh, less of a threat than what they were. And since 2018 and the release of the new national defense strategy, the focus has shifted to countries like uh, China, Russia, Iran, and uh, North Korea. And this means we will be seeing more and more technologies that have an effect on a strategic level rather than a tactical situation where we want to avoid hurting civilians. In other words, uh, technologies that defeat entire militaries. And here I think we will see a focus on three main technologies, and that is future soldier technologies, unmanned systems, uh, autonomous perhaps, and advanced cyber attacking abilities. 
So how about we uh, we dive into to each one of these? What do you say? Oh, definitely go for it. I'm I'm very interested in hearing uh both of these, yeah. especially the future soldier one. That that immediately just brings like Terminator to my mind, and I'm like, cool. <laughs> well, cool in one aspect, but also fearful in another. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So you're not you're not far off at all. Uh, and actually, uh, in my eyes, uh, this is really the most interesting one, uh, the future soldier. Uh, this is a, a vision where every piece of the soldier's gear is online. So from tactical uniforms that report entry wounds to smart helmets that help uh, soldiers navigate in combat. And eventually we are going to see uh, soldiers in exoskeletons uniforms, which are, uh, well, if you would imagine Iron Man, so like the kind of metal, the metal suit that he wears. Mm -hmm. So... We are already seeing prototypes of uh, these, uh, technologies such as these. And uh, I think it's really, really fascinating where this, this field is, uh, is going to. I, I often get asked if we're going to see kind of uh, human-like robots that are kind of uh, uh, going to be doing uh, human's work. But at this point, I, I a bit doubt that. I think that we will always see a human uh, making a life or death decision. We will never at this point see a machine uh, doing that. So yeah, that's, uh, that's regarding the future soldier technologies and uh, regarding unmanned vehicles. So th this is pretty interesting. So at the value uh, of human life has rose significantly in the past century uh, in, in comparison to World War I, for example. Uh, countries are looking for more and more ways to spare soldiers' lives and uh, keeping them out of harm's way. So the technology solution to this is more and more unmanned and uh, autonomous vehicles that will be responsible for uh, medical evacuations, for uh, logistical support, uh, border patrols, and uh, other use cases. So if you could imagine a medical evacuation going on in the middle of combat, and at the moment you kind of need to fly a helicopter into a war zone, so that won't happen anymore because the helicopter would be autonomous or would be kind of uh, unmanned. Yeah, so uh, I, I would think that this specifically is going to be a real lifesaver of uh, soldiers and uh, on field operators. Well, if it can take or remove more soldiers out of the field, then definitely that's got to be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, about uh, cyber weapons and uh, cyber attacks. So this is where it gets really scary. Um, because as we said before, everything, everything in the battlefield is getting put online on the network. So soldiers, tanks, drones, and anything you can think of. But what happens if we take away the ability to communicate with these machines? Well, we have a huge mess. Nobody knows what the other is doing, creating complete uh, uncertainty. And what happens if these machines are overridden by enemy forces and communicate the wrong information to their handlers? So imagine a plane that's meant to go directly into combat and is going the complete other direction. And what happens if your own war machines are used against you? Now, these are real concerns that are discussed when developing these technologies. And also, I think as a result, this is the biggest barrier of innovation in this sector, the fear of, uh, of getting hacked. Also, this is kind of a... Uh, 
a big issue that's happening at the moment in the defense industry that lots of technologies are not reaching the military because they have not kind of passed the security clearance. That may, like they haven't yet been tested if they can be hacked or not. Mm-hmm. So for decades, we've seen that the military around the world has been leaving technology innovation. In the past two decades, like with the rise of the internet and kind of uh, information regarding any technology being out there, we're seeing the opposite happen. Now, militaries are trying to adopt uh, civilian technologies because uh, they become so far behind what's happening in the civilian world. Uh, And the reason why they're not kind of implementing uh, these types of solutions is because they're afraid these technologies will eventually be used against them. Yeah, I can understand why that's a legitimate fear. And it's quite interesting because some of the countries that you mentioned, like Russia and North Korea, for example, that we just recently did a mini series on this show called The Most Dangerous Countries on the Internet. And those were two yeah, of the yeah, countries which were featured. And uh, yeah. it's funny how we've made that transition from like terrorist organizations to these countries being a big threat. And on the show, on that show anyway, we talked about different ways in which they are a threat, like North Korea supposedly steals money and has like bank heists like through cyber cyber hacks. And then obviously Russia with their misinformation campaigns. And it just seems like with technology, like the the battlefronts are just diversifying so much that it's no longer just physical. There's a plethora of different like battlegrounds which we're facing against these countries. It's yeah, scary there's stuff. A, there's a, a war going on at the moment that uh, uh, nobody's really talking about, and that's a 5G war. So I, I don't know how... Uh, Uh, how much you know about this issue, but basically uh, Huawei, the Chinese uh, telecommunications conglomerate, has the most cutting-edge 5G technology in the world. So 5G is is the next generation for cellular communication technology, uh, basically allowing us to kind of a download speed of, I think it's five or six times uh, faster than what we're used to today with 4G. And Huawei, the, uh, the Chinese, basically are the leaders in the world. And they've offered lots of Western countries to kind of deploy their technology and kind of use their services instead of using what they're used to, which is the American uh, technology. But the American technology is so far behind, they're not even an option at the moment. So allies like, uh, like the UK and Germany and Canada are considering using the Chinese cellular network. And the problem with that is that whoever controls the infrastructure of the, of the country, the data infrastructure, also controls the data that runs through it. So imagine intelligence missions going through a, a Chinese 5G network where it might be an operation that's not in the Chinese interest to, to be a success. It's a huge uh, issue that's happening at the moment. And, my personal opinion is that uh, if the, the Americans don't uh, kind of wake up and start funding uh, internal R&D and kind of give uh, companies like Microsoft, AT&T, and, uh, and Verizon R&D money to kind of uh, bridge that technological gap, we're going to see uh, uh, China as the king of data. 
Do you think we're likely to see that change, like as things stand at the moment with Trump in office or however the political landscape is at the moment? Do you think that change is likely to happen or do you think that America is just going to sleep on this? Well, that's a good question. I don't I don't know. I don't uh, presume to know uh, to know the answer, but uh, I will say that both the Chinese and the Americans are being very aggressive towards each other at the moment. And I think that uh, the trade war is the least of their problems compared to the to the 5G war. But everybody's talking about trade because that affects uh, that affects the money that we have in our pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Out of interest, do you ever listen to Joe Rogan's podcast? Yeah, yeah, sure. Every once in a while, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, same. Uh, I don't listen to it frequently, but I do listen to like episodes now and then. And one thing that I've heard him mention a few times is that there's supposedly a robot that can survive or function or run on organic material in the sense that it survives or it like replenishes its energy by potentially eating dead bodies in the battlefield. And I think that that was from an article that was quite old, and I don't know if it's like some kind of fake news or something like that, but he's mentioned it a couple of times and it's been a talking point. I was wondering if you have heard of this or if you have any knowledge surrounding this or... Hopefully, it's just uh, some kind of boogeyman story. Yeah, well, it sounds a bit like a, like a boogeyman story. And uh, I haven't encountered any, uh, any scientific research uh, regarding, uh, <laughs> regarding this concept. Uh, but yeah, if uh, you find a reference, I'm always uh, happy to learn. Yeah. Well, I think I think the good news is that um, they also said on the show that it would be illegal to produce this anyway because it goes against the Geneva Convention of, um, I think, uh, messing yeah, yeah, with. Yeah. I can't remember the specific terms of like messing with dead bodies or something like that. Um, in yeah, in I know war. I know what you're talking about, and uh, I believe it would go against it. And uh, yeah. let's hope that uh, that doesn't happen. Let's hope that yeah. uh, we have uh, we don't have any wars anymore. Yeah, we won't need uh, these technologies. <laughs> Fingers crossed. And um, yeah. <laughs> my last question to you is something that I'm really interested in hearing your opinion on. And I understand that national military service is mandatory for all Israeli citizens over the age of 18. I'd really like to know, and I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are on if you support this and what you think the overall positives and negatives are for making this type of service mandatory. Yeah, well, so that's a, that's a big question. Let's start from the top and uh, try and break it down. So. I believe that every person should be thinking about how he or she can benefit their society. So sometimes this is done through military service and sometimes it is done by donating all your possessions to charity like I read you did. And regarding mandatory service, so I don't spare my criticism of the system and it definitely could be done much better. but. In the Middle East neighborhood where we live in, uh, we don't really have another choice, unfortunately. And uh, I really hope that one day that will change. On a personal level, the military gave me the best skill set I could ever wish for. Uh, it taught me how to define and achieve my goals. It taught me how to navigate and complete uncertain situations. And most of all, it taught me the meaning of responsibility. So. In a business environment, the worst mistake you can make will get you fired or you'd kind of mess up a deal. But in a military environment, a mistake can cost someone's life. And I'd actually like to add to that. Uh, from a national perspective, I truly believe the military service we have is the reason for us becoming such a startup nation. 
uh, besides the personal skill sets we leave the service with, 18 to 21 year olds get real life experience in leading teams, managing complex projects, overcoming impossible situations. In a sense, Israelis finish their military service with at least three years of practical, real world experience. And I think this has become a real superpower of our society. Yeah, I can see the benefits in that sense, for sure. For me, it's such an alien concept, just because obviously coming from the UK, we have nothing like that. But I definitely see what you mean by shining light on the startup nation. And that makes sense. Because if you put people in situations where they need to think fast and be innovative, then that's obviously going to help them and carry on in in later life. So I, I can definitely see the benefits there. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 It's really unique what uh, 18 to 21 year olds go through here in Israel, because just the responsibility on their shoulders is, is, is really like, I, I don't know, just kind of speechless on it because it's just so big and it's so meaningful, like having the, the power to make life and death decisions. It's like, sometimes you're making a small decision, but you're saving somebody's life. It could be a soldier, it could be a civilian. And you kind of, you finish your military service and then the decisions go to kind of how am I going to design this app or how am I going to design this, uh, this board? And I don't want to kind of take, uh, take the importance out, out of the, the high tech scene, but it is kind of, it's so much, there's so much less pressure, if that makes any sense. No, it definitely makes sense. And I, I think it's fair to say, I think it is fair to say, I mean, obviously, if you start a company or you're high up in a company, then that's admirable. But having to make those difficult decisions in a life or death situation, that's, that's way harder. I think most people agree on that. And it's funny how you mentioned about that life and death situation, because it reminded me of something that I saw, I'm not sure if you're familiar with humans in New York. Uh, the photography yeah, sure. um, yeah the photography uh, I don't know or the famous photographer and there was one post which was speaking with a, an ex-police officer and I think he was a police officer in the 70s and he was saying about how much like um, drug addiction how much like mental illness yeah, yeah. and stress was within the police force and he was saying that most people perceive the police in one way or another and people everyone has ideas of like soldiers but the truth is, unless you really experience it, you don't know. And he said he thinks that everyone should experience being in the police or military or something like that, just so that they understand what it's like to be in a job where when, where fight or flight kicks in and flight is not is not an option. Then it gives you a, a different perspective of the world and also a different respect for the types of people that choose to do this as a service in society. And that really stayed yeah. with me. So I can understand how putting people in these situations can not only benefit their skill set, but also enhance their perception of the world and uh, make them more empathetic, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I completely agree. Uh, I think that, it, that that's a real benefit. If people would have experienced like, uh, those type of things, it would have given them a, a better perspective of, uh, of life. Um, but I would say on a side note that I don't think that it's uh, for everyone as a, as a career. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of my experience. Formal. Yeah, definitely. David, yeah. thank you so much for uh, joining me today. It has been a real pleasure. Thank if, you. <laughs> if people want to follow you and keep up with what you're doing and the work you're doing, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, yeah. So just uh, add me on LinkedIn. That's uh, David Horish. 
D-A-V-I-D-H-O-R-E-S-H. Uh, most of my content goes out there. Uh, stuff that I write about, like what we've talked about today. And uh, in any case, I'm always down for doing amazing things with uh, amazing people. So feel free to reach out to me regarding anything you think I could be of use to. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, David. Thanks for having me, Samuel. It's been great. Once again, thank you to our sponsor, Publicize. Visit their website if you want to find out more about their PR for growth packages, their free resources, or even schedule a call. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bike Back listeners, you can receive an SEO assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash BBB. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for joining us. As always, you can find more at sociable.co along with a ton of articles I'm sure you'll find interesting if you like this podcast. You can also follow us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, all the usual places you'll find podcasts, you'll find us. And we'd love to hear what you think, so tweet to us at, at the sociable. Thanks again, and until next time, take care.